What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And it's time for baseball slang. Da, 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 da. What's a snow cone? Um, That's a ball that gets caught on the fingertips of the glove. Yes. <laughs> did you know instead that of, or were you just I knew guessing? It. I knew it. Yeah. You did, really? Instead of, in, instead of in the basket, right? Or in the Exactly. In the yeah. Exactly. Or it sort of works its way up so that it's just barely sticking out. <laughs> but it out still counts the... as a catch. Even yes, though it does. Not... It does indeed. Well, let me try this one on All you right. then. When is Dreamers Month? Ooh, Dreamers Month. Mm-hmm. Um, is this when the free agents start thinking about moving to a better team? Mm, that's I don't know what is it excellent it really is an excellent guess okay but let me give you a hint the baseball season usually starts in April Okay, so Dreamers March. Yes. Everybody's thinking about like I'm going to break the 300 home run mark and I'm going to yeah. You got it. Okay. Yes, yes. I no got this. No injuries this year. Right. That's exactly okay. it. This is from the Definitive Dictionary on Baseball by Paul, Paul Dixon. Dixon's Paul Dixon's Baseball Di- Dictionary yes, is amazing indeed. work. Yes. And in it, he says of Dreamers Month, at this point in the year, anything seems possible for any team. Anything seems possible for yeah. anything. Like baseball is poetry, isn't it? It, it really is. That's it, nice. it made me think about for me, Dreamers Hour is about <laughs> six a.m. You know, I look uh, out the window and, and I think, oh, there's a little baby day out there. Mm-hmm. What's it going to grow up to be? Right. Sometimes it grows up to be an ogre, but <laughs> <laughs> right. coffee but I... pot doesn't work. Cat vomited on the floor again. <laughs> going back to bed. <laughs> exactly. But I'm going to share some more baseball lingo oh, later good. in the nice. show because. As you said, it is poetry. Oh, it's so good. Well, we'd love to hear your sports language. What's your favorite sports term? Or ask us any question about language at all, 877-929-9673. Send us an email to words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is uh, Adam. I'm calling from Menominee, Wisconsin. Well, I'm originally from Menominee, Wisconsin, but now I live in Madison, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show, Adam. Nice to talk to you. Well, thank you so much for having me. The reason I was so specific about where I'm from originally is because I think my question might be very specific, very specific region there in Wisconsin, west central Wisconsin, not far from Minneapolis, St. Paul. Growing up, my family would always order eggs at a restaurant, or if we were talking about having eggs at home, we preferred sunny side up, but we called them uh, looking at you eggs. <laughs> and now when I when I travel... Uh, or if I'm even in a restaurant in the Madison, Wisconsin area, and I order my eggs without thinking, I'll say, oh, I'm looking at you. Everyone else at my table and, some t- and the server usually gives me a very weird look, <laughs> and it takes people a moment before either they realize or I realize that we're not speaking the same language, and then I have to either clarify sunny side up or someone will say, oh, you mean sunny side up. That's outstanding. Yeah, I think it's an interesting... Uh, way to order eggs, and I swear it's a thing, but nobody I've ever met outside of Menominee, Wisconsin, can confirm this for me, and I Google for it. I can't seem to find any information about it online, so I'm hoping that you folks can maybe help. It's really charming. I I almost never see it, but Grant, you've you've yeah, I've seen it as far back as the 1920s. Um, You can find it uh, searching various complicated ways on Google Books. Um, You'll find plenty of uses of it over the decades. Um, it's not common, but it is out there, and apparently it's a thing. The earliest use that I can find actually has it in quote marks, which means that the author thought that it was uh, worth setting off in quotes for special attention as being an unusual phrase. Oh, great. What book is that? Can you say it? Um, actually, uh, I don't have it in front of me. I have the quote. I can find oh, okay. the quote. The quote is, The one thing that sets off a plate of nice Berkshire ham more than any other thing is a nice plate of giant white Plymouth Rock eggs looking at you. Love it! Thank so, you so much. That is that really vindicates me with my friends, and also yeah. I really enjoy the story. And it's literally breakfast, so it's ham and eggs for breakfast, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, it's interesting too, all the Germanic heritage there in uh, Wisconsin, because because in German the term for this translates as mirror eggs. You know, oh, that's interesting. You know, like mirror egg, eggs. Yeah, like like they're looking right back at you, and and you see the same thing in. Oh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In Hebrew, too, the name for it translates as I egg. 
In fact, in Japanese, the term for it is medamayaki, which means cooked like eyeball. Oh, this is great. This is so good. I am so glad I called you folks. Yeah. My question for you is when the server finally understands what you say, and then they bring the eggs back to you, but they bring your order, do they say, here's eggs looking at you, kid? No, they don't do that, right? <laughs> they, they, they don't, no. Some, they missed opportunity. I will say some of the more uh, witty servers uh, will you know, have a lot of fun with that, yeah. Yeah. I bet. <laughs> All right. Well, here's to eggs looking at you. Thanks so much for the call, dude. Thank you so much. Take care. Thanks, Adam. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mirror eggs is good. Yeah, mirror eggs it's is good. It's you looking at yourself in the mirror and seeing your own eyeballs back at you. Yeah, that's what I think. And and that notion of, of those kinds of eggs looking like eyes appears again and again mm-hmm. in languages around the world. Like in, in Latvian, uh, it translates as ox eyes. Ox eyes, and big, in, big yeah. whites, right? Yeah, yeah. Or the name for it in Indonesian translates as cow eyes. Cow eyes. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Humans yeah. are humans. We see things the same, right? Yeah, I know. Kind of creepy to think if you haven't had your coffee yet in these eyes. <laughs> Eyes are looking up at you. But you can cut it Why are you cooking me? 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org and talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Grant, you know what a two o'clock hitter is? In baseball. In baseball. Two, two o'clock hitter. Uh... Don't know. I have no idea what it is. Yeah, I was going to guess that a two o'clock hitter would be like out to right field or something. Yeah, you know, kind of... you know, thinking about the face of a clock, but that's not it at no. all. Mm. No, it, it dates back to the time when most games started at three o'clock and batting practice started at two o'clock. So if you're a two o'clock hitter, you hit really well in batting practice and then you get to the game. And, and you're a dud. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. Yeah, I know. I can identify. Once the I... pressure is on, yeah. the realities, and they're not, yeah. throwing, they're not lobbing softballs across the <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and that's one of the things that I really like about baseball lingo is it's so applicable to real life. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you have a rehearsal that goes really, really well, and then, then you get to the performance. and Give us a call about anything, 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Helen Lopez from El Centro, California. Hey, Hi, Helen. Welcome. How you doing? Fine, thanks. How are you? All right. Welcome to the show. What's up? My question is about the two words and their usage, um, amount and number. It's sort of a pet peeve of mine that I've wondered about for years. Um, And I've always been of a mind that when you use the word amount, um, you're talking about things that cannot be counted, things that are sort of fungible like um, grains of sand or something like that. And when you use number as an adjective, that that's for things that can be counted, like people or cows or things such as that. So when people say it's a large amount of people, it sounds wrong to me. And I've always wondered if I'm correct or incorrect. May I just say how much I enjoy hearing the word fungible? Thank you for using that. <laughs> I went to law school. That's why I used that. I was going to ask if you were an accountant. Ah, <laughs> it's one of those words I've had to look up time and time and time again. Word. It's got a good sound in the mouth, too, right? Good yeah. mouth, good mouth feel. Good like mouth a, feel. Like a, like a nice glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> so <Right>. thank <laughs> you for that, Helen. <laughs> uh, this is a really interesting one. So your dispute is... Whether or not some uh, amount and number are exactly equal and could be treated the same when it comes to counting things or referring to things as a mass unit, right? Correct. Well, so, things that are counted should be a num- number of number. things, mm-hmm. and things that can't should be an amount of stuff. And that is generally the accepted wisdom in most style and usage guides. A number is usually for count nouns. We have a – there are a number of cars in the lot, Right. Um, right, right. An amount is usually Number for of mass. People in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amount is usually for mass nouns. Um, there, there's a unusual amount of sand in the drain pipe, right? So it's something Correct. right that we can't right. be counted. But notice my word usually. We have some exceptions. If you get um, a bonus at work, your boss might say your bonus in the amount of a thousand dollars would be paid to you on Friday. Uh huh. Your boss wouldn't say. And that's $1,000, actually discrete dollars that are being counted up to the amount of 1000 So it's not right. really a mass at all. And we have a few other places where we typically do this. So there are some exceptions. But I'm going to basically say you're 
I'm agreeing with you that just there's no okay. reason that a number and amount should be considered exactly equal. Okay. Yeah. Um, where I hear it a lot is, um, unfortunately, with the newscasters who talk about large amounts of people here and there, and it really bothers me. Mm, that, yeah. that sounds like very large people. <laughs> yeah. right, it does, if you break it? it down, if you um, really overanalyze it. I can get... <laughs> I can kind of, I can't get behind that, but I can get my mind to where they are. If we think about people as this large undefined number, like we're not saying persons, right? People right. is a mass of persons. People is a, oh. un, like I could have, you know, there are many people in the room. It could be three or it could be three million. You know, it's, it's hard. I can get behind that. And I understand also as radio people, Martha, and I totally get that sometimes you're speaking off the cuff and it just can't be helped. You say a, a right. solecism comes out and that's just the way it is. Yeah, I'm not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> you expect perfection from your but radio okay. hosts and your newscasters? <laughs> All right, we'll work on that. <laughs> we'll do better. All right, well, Promise. thank you very much. You've now cleared up uh, something that's been bugging me for about 30 years. Yeah. So um, I, I will rest easier tonight. Yeah. Hey, glad to Thanks, help. Thanks, Helen. Really appreciate it. Stay cool there in El Centro, <laughs> Thanks All right. So much. All righty. Take Thanks. care now. All bye right, bye-bye. The style guides are actually a little in a disagreement over this, like um, Fowler's Usage Guide and Brian Garner's Modern American Usage kind of Garner takes the hard line, very much says amount should never refer to people. Um, Fowler says it often refers to people. That's just the way that it is. Um, you know, it's a style thing, though. We should be clear on this one more than it's a grammar thing. Mm -hmm. The grammar of English doesn't much care either way because it doesn't have feelings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Call us with your language questions, 877-929-9673, or you can send them to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. So, Grant, when it comes to baseball, do you know what three blind mice means? Oh, it's the umpires. Yes! <laughs> Yes. I did not realize that that was a term for umpires and that at some baseball stadiums, when umpires take the field, they play the song on the organ. Do they? Dun, dun, Three... dun, 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 dun. And also has right. the nice Three Stooges connotation as well, right? <laughs> Hadn't thought about that. As you know, I'm not a baseball fan at all, but it sounds like a lot of the appeal is just rooting for your own team and dissing the umpires. And everyone else, pretty much, except <laughs> your own team and maybe even some of them. <laughs> Share your baseball lingo with us, eight. 877-929-9673 or send it to us in email. That address is words at waywardradio.org. More conversation about what we say and how we say it. Stay tuned. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Away With Words, a show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And joining us now from an undisclosed location in New York City is our quiz guy, John Chinesky. Hi, John. Hi, Martha. Hi, Grant. You know, this location is undisclosed, but the, nevertheless, there's still a Pokemon here. So hang on one second. <laughs> well, Get I, it. Oh, good. I caught them all. There we go. All my first minor... was a Charmander, and I felt great. <laughs> uh, I had a Bulbasaur. It was just so good. It was on my bed. It was in front of my lap. It was terrific. Well, let's put the Pokemon Go aside for just a second. I, you know, we've done a lot of quizzes on famous books and plays and poems. This is about famous paintings. Ooh. I know. How can we do that? Well, I'm going to change a word in the title of, of a famous painting and then describe what the new painting looks like. For example, if I said, I've removed two letters from the end of this painting's title, and now it looks like the couple has been replaced by a pale young man outside a farmhouse wearing a black T-shirt and eyeshadow and several piercings and America's a crucifix. America's God. <laughs> That would be the painting of American goth. Yes. Fun. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Now, I'll let you know the wordplay that we're working with before I give you the title. Okay. All right. Here we go. I've taken this two-word painting title and changed the first letter of the second word. Now it depicts a pretty, smiling woman 
holding a credit card. <laughs> Mona Visa. <laughs> Mona Visa. <laughs> the Mona Visa, yes. That's right. That was the Mona Lisa by uh, Da Vinci. I've taken this two-word painting title and changed the second word into a homophone of itself. Now it depicts a pretty young woman in a field who's spinning and really, really dizzy. <laughs> Christina's world. Uh, right. Christina's world as opposed to Christina's world, W-O-R-L-D, by Wyeth. I've taken this two-word painting title and deleted the last two letters of the second word. Now it depicts an insect of the order Lepidoptera. Whistler's moth. Whistler's moth, yeah. (laughs) Right, Whistler's mother by James McNeil Whistler. I've taken this two-word painting title and removed the last letter of the first word. Now it depicts one of the beetles enjoying a nice, pleasant evening on his porch. Star night? Star Star night, yes. It's star night. Starry night, of course, by Van Gogh. I've taken this three-word painting. First word is the. I changed the first letter of the second word. Now it depicts all the actors in a Broadway play having a nice meal together. Um... All it's the, the oh, oh oh the cast the cast supper yes the cast <laughs> supper very good which probably happens all the time right <laughs> yeah. yeah thanks John for the quiz really appreciate it super fun stuff well thank you guys this was great and if you want to talk about any aspect of language whatsoever give us a call eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three or send your questions in email to words at waywardradio.org hi you have a way with words. Hi, this is Wasim from Dallas, Texas. Hi, welcome to the show. What can we do for you? Thank you. Um, so my question actually isn't about English. It's about Arabic. Um, so I noticed this the other day when I was sitting with my mom, and she was, we had some friends over, um, Indian friends, and um, I brought up the sort of concept how in Arabic we have this thing where mothers, fathers, uh, uncles, aunts, just any relatives, they'll call younger um, relatives, like I guess their niece, nephew, son, daughter, they'll call them by their title. So, for example, my mother will call, my sisters and I will call us mama, or our dad will call us baba, which is the Arabic word for dad. And it's the same concept for aunts and uncles. So I was wondering, you know, where this sort of came about, because when we were talking with our Indian friends, they don't have anything like that. And I know for a fact that other Arabic speakers, they have the same sort of concept. So when you say Indian friends, do you mean some subcontinental Indians or Native American Indians? Uh, subcontinental. It's interesting because I had heard that in some parts of uh, the subcontinent that they do also do that, that you will sometimes... Really? Yeah, but, uh, you know, India and... Is a massive country with uh, hundreds of dialects and lots of subcultures and very strong different identities depending on where you are. So I'm not surprised mm-hmm. that it's not universal. So what you're saying, just to recap here, in Arabic, the, it, it sounds like the parents are calling the children by the name uh, that the parents themselves are known as. So father yeah. calls the boys by the name that means father, mother calls the girls by the name that means mother, so forth. Yes. I, I know that a lot of our listeners are jumping up and down in their seats right now, and Martha looks eager with anticipation as well because the same thing happens in Spanish. Uh, you will find this again and again throughout Latin America, I believe also in Spain, where um, the little kids may be called mommy and papi, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it's very similar. Um, so what happens linguistically is that the word stops meaning one thing and it starts taking on additional meanings. It basically kind of generalizes as a term of affection and stops being like a gender-based term of affection. So the same way that I might call my wife honey and I call my son honey or sweetie or whatever, something like that. Or you might call cutie is, is, you know, gender unaware. A man or a woman can be cutie or sugar or um, all these terms. And it, it kind of basically just joins this other group of terms of endearment that don't have a gender. Does your family have any explanation for it? or? No, I, I had asked my mom, and she kind of just, um, w- what she said was this is just like how, what her parents did, what her uncles, mm-hmm. what her aunts, what her grandparents did. Um, it was just sort of a learned thing that she took on from her parents. 
Uh-huh. It's, it's interesting because I, I have a friend from Turkey who says that um, in, a, in a way it sort of reminds you of your ancestors as well. It's sort of a way of keeping them alive. Oh, interesting. So Ooh. the children will become a father and a mother yeah. one day. And so yeah. by calling them that, you are kind of basically making small wishes for the future? Yeah, yeah. And, oh. and I think that's a, that's a lovely idea, I a like lovely that. tradition. I sure haven't, haven't seen it. Uh, in this country among... I have seen it in small ways in this have country. You? We have family friends from North Carolina, and the mother refers to her little girl as mama. Is that right? Yeah, and really? I have seen it elsewhere, but I've never seen it for the little boys to be... And I, as I understand it, it is sometimes happens in the American South. I don't know how widespread, but I'm sure our, our Southern listeners will call quickly and let yeah. us know. But I do understand that sometimes it happens. Uh, for, for the little boys, sometimes I think Bubba and Mama are paired together, so Bubba takes the place of what otherwise uh-huh. would be Papa or Daddy. But, mm-hmm. uh, um, and then I see reports of it possibly happening in Jamaica. Um, African Americans sometimes will do this as well. The little kids mm-hmm. are known as Mama or Daddy. Um, and um, India, of course, and Filipino culture from the Philippines, possibly. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get reports of it happening elsewhere. It, it is very widespread in Spanish-speaking cultures and in Arabic-speaking cultures. Mm-hmm. I think it's ringing a vague Yiddish bell for me, too. Oh, is it? Yeah. Well, it's called the kids of Bubala, little girl's yeah. Bubala, right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was weird also because it's the same thing for aunts and uncles. So my uncle which the Arabic word for uncle on your mom's side is halo, he'll also call me halo. And same thing with my grandparents. My grandma will call me tata, which is sort of like the Arabic term of endearment for grandmother. And same thing for my grandpa. He'll call me the Arabic word for grandpa. Well, that seems like a lovely tradition. Yeah. One last question before we go. What uh, variety of Arabic does your family speak? Um, they speak Palestinian Arabic. Palestinian Arabic. Okay, very good. Um, thank you very much for your call. This is super interesting. I know we're going to get a ton of email on this. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Okay, thanks. Take Bye-bye. Care Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Connect with us, 877-929-9673. One of my favorite quotations about writing comes from the great writer Isabel Allende, who wrote, Show up, show up, show up, and after a while, the muse shows up too. Oh, it's perfect. The stick-to-itiveness required in order to complete anything. Yes. Glue your bottom to that chair. Just keep showing up. Or whatever your tool is, right? Keep the hammer in your hand and the the work will get done, right? Just keep at it. And one of these days, Mm -hmm. the muse will show up. That's a hard thing to impress upon kids in particular, right? That that persistence of effort equals results eventually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you want it to be done miraculously in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> show up, show up, show and up. And it's funny how often a completed work looks like there was a muse, and you're like, no, that's all sweat. <laughs> There's no muse. I wasn't inspired at all. I just worked 99% perspiration. 877-929-9673. Hello. You have a way with words. Hello there. This is Fun calling from Honolulu. How are you? Oh. Hi, Fun. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So... I have an expression uh, from my husband, grandmother, Jessie. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jessie, uh, she was originally from Hazard, Kentucky. Um, my husband said that she had a lot of very interesting expressions. And this expression, and she used to use it to describe people leaving very fast, and she would say, Oh, he just left it so fast that he could have a plate marbles on his coattails. And my husband and I uh, love this uh, expression very, very much. We think it creates a very vivid image. So I just want to learn anything and everything about it. Boy, that's fascinating. I mean, Hazard's right there in, in Appalachia in mm, eastern Kentucky. It's good. Good color there, uh, right? Yeah, very colorful, colorful <laughs> expression. It reminds me of uh, when I was a kid growing up in another part of Kentucky, we would talk about how if you could sprinkle salt on a bird's tail, you could catch it. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> in this case, in this case, though, Fan, we're talking about, imagine somebody wearing a long coat that has coattails, a, a flaps of, of fabric, you know, below the waist. 
And if you run wearing one of those, they will fly out behind you in the breeze that you're making with your speed. Imagine a flag, for example, on a, on a car doing the same thing. It's limp when you're still, but it's stiff and straight in the breeze. And so that's the joke, is that they're running so fast, their coattails are horizontal, and it's a flat surface perfect for playing marbles. And you can find references to coattails being flat like that because of somebody being fast as far back as the 1850s. Wow. And I don't find the marbles play so fast that you can play marbles until nineteen early 1900s. But, it's, again, that's 100 years of people using that expression. Of obviously not very common anymore because mm. who has coattails outside of a fancy wedding? Right. <laughs> and because, um, speaking of coattails, uh, because it's coattails, so she only used it to, uh, to describe males. Mm-hmm. So I wonder... If there is some equivalent phrases, expressions to say uh, females, that's a really good question. I, I have only seen it referred to for 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 men. I don't know. I don't know of a female one for that. She's going so fast that her, I don't know, <laughs> uh, her scarf is. You could play marbles on her scarf. I don't know. Good question. <laughs> anyway, so that's most of what we know here. But it's a very tied to a time when coattails were common and. And marbles were common. Kids don't play marbles much anymore either. Anyway, thank you for your call, Fan. Really happy to talk to you. Thank you. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We know that your parents and grandparents use language that seems odd, archaic, or amusing to you. We'd love to hear about it and share it with the world. of when you think of the term think tank? Um, boy, sounds like the end destination for an academic who's just done with academia. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> right? That's the, that's the resting place of bright minds who've just been depleted. Well, I don't know. People at <laughs> think tanks might disagree with you. But, but, I mean, basically the definition of a think tank is... Yeah, a bunch of um, smart people examining certain issues that are relevant to their focus. Yeah, yeah, research institute, So you might have one that's example. about education or right. one about political reform, Politics, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. And this term has been with us since the 1950s, meaning that kind of institution. Mm-hmm. But did you know that the term think tank actually goes back to at least the 1880s? not know that. When think tank meant your brain or your mind. Right. Yeah. Kind of like your brain case. Yeah. Or another term used during that time was thought box. Thought box. Yeah. Like it's this unknown piece of machinery atop your shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Your think tank. There's where my thoughts happen in there. Yeah. The reservoir where where all your thoughts happen. And now it's, but now it's an organization or a board, Mm -hmm. but a think tank. Yeah. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, Martha. This is James Callan in Meshuggah, Washington. Hey, James. Welcome to the show. What's up? What can we help with? Thanks. Well, I have a question. You know how when, or at least when I was a kid, and you didn't have anything that was like a real timer, but you wanted to know how fast something was. It was, you know, relatively quick, like running or whatever. You'd kind of do the counting um, you know, 1,001, 1,002, or, um, you know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi to estimate the second. And why is it Mississippi as opposed to any other state or if it's after the river? I, I don't know if there were a lot of other, I mean, obviously that's the most famous river but uh, in the U.S., but uh, when did that start? Why did that start? What is it about Mississippi that made it the <laughs> default uh, second timing, because we have plenty of other states that are, you know, just as many syllables or longer. Do we? I'm trying to think here. Mississippi. Colorado. Oh, one Colorado, too. Louisiana is a little longer. One Louisiana. I wonder if Mississippi is just tied up in all those double letters and it being also difficult to spell, and it seems longer. It might be the same syllables as Colorado, but it's harder to Mm -hmm, spell. mm -hmm. I do know someone who grew up saying one Nevada, two Nevada. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, there you go, yeah. But Mississippi, mm -hmm. yeah, it does seem longer. You're right. So you hit on some stuff. I think it's a well-known river. I think it's hard to spell. It's got a lot of letters, even though it may be the same number of syllables. And it's kind of fun to say. Mississippi is a really yeah. fun word to yeah. say. It does remind me that there's that, um, you know, that little rhyme or chant or whatever it was with how you spell Mississippi, kind of like you mentioned, like the one, the humpback, yeah. humpback, I. 
cook a little, cook a little. I can't remember how it goes, but oh. there was that little. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> you know this one, Martha? No, no, I was gu- no, I was going to say the way I learned to spell Mississippi was from some old Looney Tunes cartoon that had the bouncing ball. Remember when you had the bouncing uh-huh. ball yeah, going yeah. follow, and it went M I S S I S S I P P I. That used to be so hard to spell. It used to make me cry. And and so uh, to this day, that's how I spell Mississippi. I learned M-I-S- it like S I S S I P P I. I learned like James learned it. It's in my crooked letter, crooked letter I, humpback, humpback, humpback I. Oh, wait, what? humpback, humpback I, two, only two humpbacks. I have never ever heard in that. In my crooked letter, crooked letter I, crooked letter, crooked letter I, humpback, humpback I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That is exactly the, the chance or whatever it was that we, that we used. Here are a couple of others for you, by the way. Apparently in the United Kingdom, because they don't have the Mississippi River there, they're more likely to say hippopotamus. One Tim's, two Tim's. No, <laughs> I know some people say banana. Um, and in a variety of other countries, they'll do just like we do can do in English. They'll do 1,001, mm-hmm. but they'll do it in their own language. Right, and in Norwegian, Scandinavia. And Sweden. Yeah. Uh, Norway and Sweden. Right, Iceland, and Denmark, too. I have been told on the highest authority that they say one case of beer, two cases of beer. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's our best guess for you, and plus a few extra things thrown in. Cool. That's really cool. Do we know how far back that goes? I mean, is it? really, really old, or is it one of those things that seems old but turns out to have been, you know, 10 years before I was born? And... I haven't found it earlier than the 1900s, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, okay. you're, you said yeah, something it very early. Like in the... you could definitely have been. I mean, Mississippi's obviously been there forever. So. Yeah, and you nailed something like widespread timepieces. Like, we're probably looking at timepieces as uh, the Casio wristwatch is kind of putting a kibosh <laughs> on the one Mississippi, right? <laughs> Those $8 things you got out of the gumball machine at Walmart. <laughs> That's kind of putting yeah. it into that mostly. I don't know. Anyway, thanks for your call, dude. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye. 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 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. And talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. Grant, have you ever heard the term bluebird weather? Uh, no, but I know about the bluebird of happiness and yeah. a variety of things related to happiness and sunny dispositions related to bluebirds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is it something connected? Well, I suppose it is connected. Um, chiefly in Maryland and eastern Virginia, uh, bluebird weather refers to a brief period of warm weather in autumn. Mm, that's nice. Isn't that nice? Bluebird yeah. weather. Hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. More conversation about what we say and how we say it. Stay tuned. Got a minute? We need your help. Head over to gum.fm slash words and share your thoughts in our quick survey. Your feedback matters. It's the backbone of our show's success. Thanks for making our show even more successful. That's gum.fm slash words. Thank you. You're listening to Away With Words, the show about language and how we use it. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. There was a time when I worked in a hospital years ago that I literally punched a time clock. And then later, when I was a newspaper reporter in this big cube of a building, I would go there every day. And I was expected to be in the building when I wasn't out reporting. And then later, I did the same kind of work for magazines, only from the office in my house. And at that point, I called myself a freelancer, and I really liked that term because it connotes the idea of a medieval knight who's not particularly beholden to one king. He's more of a a mercenary Mm -hmm. kind of uh, agent. But there's another growing work style that I think is in need of a term. What do you call it, Grant, when you work for a company and then they let you move across the country and work someplace else, but you're still working for the same company? Um, it's just r- remote work or remote work or telecommuting. Yeah, or telecommuting. There's a couple, there's a co- other couple names for that. But yeah, yeah, virtual worker. So you're saying the home thing. office is still say in Delaware, but your home is in California, and right. they don't have an office near you. Right. The writer Michael Erard has written about this as well, and he finds problems with the terms virtual and telecommuting. They just sound either insubstantial or Mm -hmm. antiquated. And he's been suggesting working in place. Working in place? Yeah. What do you think about that? Um, People who work in place. I work in place. 
I think it automatically requires an explanation. I mean, maybe we'll get to the day that it doesn't, but right now, literally mm-hmm. every time you use it, you're going to have to explain it. There's nothing transparent about it. I mean, I know you're working, but yeah. what does in place mean? Yeah. It's sort of like the idea of sheltering in place or mm-hmm. aging in place, working in place. Oh, I see. You're so working wherever, wherever you are. You so are. if I'm traveling in Thailand, I'm still working. Yeah. If I'm at home, I'm still working. Yeah. If I'm at a conference, I'm still working. Mm-hmm. Hmm, mm-hmm. I like that. I get that now, but it did require an explanation. Ah, uh-huh, see. But it kind of reminds yeah. me of being out of pocket. Like you're on your own dime for now, and then the company will like kind of mm-hmm. take care of you later mm-hmm. to settle expenses. Yeah, I'm. I'm not totally convinced about that word. I kind of like working remotely. Working remotely works, and that's transparent. The yeah. two words are pretty clear, yeah. right? But I, th- I think the larger point is that more and more people are doing this, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering what our listeners call this. So if you work outside the office for a company that's not near you, or maybe it is near you, but for some reason you're just not in the office, what do you call that, uh, the jobs that you can take your laptop anywhere and get everything done? As long as you have your phone and your laptop, you're good to go, whether or not you're in the, the Arctic or the desert or the jungle or wherever. Yeah, does working in place work for you? Yeah, does it? Or is there something new or a term that you use? 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, uh, I'm Ben, calling from New York City, and I'm 18. Well, welcome, Ben. What can we do for you? Thank you. So I was listening to your segment about paying attention to the way in which our older family members speak. And I was kind of thinking about, you know, what are some ways that um, my grandparents speak? And I was trying to think of something. And this thought popped into my mind, which is that whenever my grandmother retells something that happened to her in the past and uses dialogue, she uses says, the present tense, instead of said, the past tense. And I thought that was really strange because for the most part, she uses says when she's talking about herself, such as I walked into the store and I says X, Y, Z. And I was a little um, confused, or, you know, uh, why she said something like that. And I was wondering if this is just a strange little irregularity uh, that she has, or if it's something more widespread and well-known of the older generations using the present tense when telling stories instead of the past tense. Great question. Mm-hmm. And you've given us a really great example of how that kind of speech works. She She's American? Yes. And how old would you say she is? She's uh, early 70s. Early 70s. Well, it's nothing to have to do with her in particular. Um, is she from New York also? Um, yeah, she lived in Brooklyn for a long time and now uh, lives in New Jersey. Yeah, there's nothing particularly regional about it. It's a form of probably best described as the historical present tense. Now, usually we only encounter this in English in two extremes of formality, either in very informal language, like the stuff that your grandmother's saying, or very formal language, like scientists recounting a historical event of some great importance. And that word recount is the key here because that's what your grandmother is doing as well. She's recounting um, previous speech. It's called reported speech in linguistics. And we tend to use this, what it sounds like the present tense, in order to give it immediacy and make it seem vivid and like it's actually rehappening as we're telling uh, the story. It, makes it, it actually makes it feel more real to the hearer. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think when she tells stories, it doesn't matter if it's very far in the past or it was something that happened earlier that day, but it does make you feel that um, it is, it's happening to you or you're very much engrossed in that story that she's telling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, there's a cool thing about that. I do feel like you kind of nailed one part of it. I think it's passing away, at least in these informal, very informal uses. I, it does seem to be marked as... Uh, something from a previous generation. I'm actually surprised that your grandmother is as young as she is and still using it because that's how archaic it seems to be coming. But perhaps my information is wrong and perhaps it's still far more widespread than I believe. For some reason, it reminds me of younger people using the term like mm-hmm. to introduce a similar kind of scene, mm-hmm. you know, something that's that's similarly present tense. I was like, yeah, because they're both reporting on speech. Right. And so the like is a quotative and the says isn't a quotative exactly, but they're certain, certainly they're definitely talking about a previous situation in a really informal way. Yeah, it's kind of this performancey kind mm-hmm. of thing. Well, that's good. That's a good way word for it. We then we do a lot of speech that we talk about. We 
recraft it as if it is a narrative and tell it like a story and act it out and our hands are going and our faces are making grimaces and smiles and so forth and yeah it's it's cool um uh, just for a historical perspective, there are records of this kind of speech going back hundreds and hundreds of years. So it has existed in, in English for quite a while. That's very interesting. Yeah. I never have heard of uh, something like this. Yeah, well, very observant of you. <laughs> yeah. The last time I encountered it was with an 80-year-old woman in, in the Lower East Side of New York. There was a woman named Helen who was homeless there who would sit on my front steps, and she was originally from Boston, but she'd lived in New York for like 50 years. And she would just tell me stories. I lived Second Street between Avenues B and C and the Lower East Side. And she would just, she used, and she always had that same exact construction. She'd be like, so I says to him, I'm, uh, you can join the Navy, but I ain't waiting for you. <laughs> it, it was really good. <laughs> ben, thank you so much for the question. Thanks for taking it. I really appreciate it and love the show. Take care thank now. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So I says, I says to myself, give us a call, 877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org. I read a fantastic essay the other day. It was by Lori Lakin Hutcherson, who's the founder of a website called Good Black News. And the essay is what I think should be required reading on white privilege. It was just a beautifully, beautifully argued uh, piece of writing. And I picked up an interesting term from that, uh, which is chandelier pain. Do you know this term? I don't know that. It's a chandelier pain. Yes. Chandelier pain describes the kind of pain that you have when when a doctor touches an extremely sensitive area that that doctors talk about having to pull the the patient off the chandelier or they oh. reach up to the ceiling oh, because I, the pain is so terrible and she was talking about uh, the cumulative effect of small hurts over time mm-hmm. and how that can result in chandelier pain oh i imagine a, a- cartoon cats doing that when yeah, they're surprised, exactly. like leaping up and hanging by their claws in the ceiling, yeah. something like that. Yeah, where the slightest little thing can, hmm. can Chandelier provoke a huge... pain. That's yeah. interesting. I love yeah. that one. Yeah. Add that to my list. Thanks for that one. 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Jack Vanderbeek from Olympia, Washington. I've got a question for you. All right, shoot. Um, I was doing a little writing the other day, and I uh, came up on the verb harp. Uh, it was a common word when I was growing up, meaning to kind of nag, like harping on something, uh, to harp on somebody or something. It was kind of re- returning to the same subject over and over. I was wondering where that came from. Yeah, to just say the same thing over and over and over again, huh? Do you have any theories? You know, for some reason I kind of thought it came from the church somehow. It was like the harp of an angel or something like that. Um, I was th- I was thinking about it this morning, and it and it, it occurred to me that um, maybe it had to do with a harpy, uh, but I don't even understand where that came from or mm-hmm. why it would be a verb. Uh, you know, I always pictured a harp as being a stringed instrument. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're on the right track with with the harp as a stringed instrument. It's actually, uh, the, the original version of this is to harp on the same string or to harp on one string. If you oh. go, you can go all the way back to the 16th century and, and find references to, to somebody who harpeth all of one string or, or uh, I'm looking at another one that says uh, harp no more upon that string, or he harps much upon that jarring string. So the idea is it's almost like a little kid who's who's driving you nuts by holding a harp and just plucking that one mm, string yeah. again and again and again and again and again. Ah, okay. So it's kind of the monotony. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The monotony. Oh, okay. Well, I, I suppose that makes a lot more sense. I don't think that the people I was hearing it from understood its derivation either, but they were, uh, you know, they got their point across. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a very picturesque phrase, if you think about it. And a long way from its origins now. Yeah, back to the 16th century, you said. Yes, indeed. Oh, How about okay. that? Well, hey, that, uh, that explained a lot. Okay, well, we're glad to help, Jack. Thank you so much for calling. All right, well, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks for your program. Okay, take care, Jack. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. 
877-929-9673. Email words at waywardradio.org and talk to us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. The other day I was talking with a friend about our plans for going to a play, and I was saying, should we have dinner beforehand or... And then I immediately wanted to say afterhand. But we don't, do we? We don't. But, you know, I looked it up. I mean, why in the world don't we say afterhand if we say beforehand? Would you say afterward? Yeah, afterward or just after After, is what I ended up saying. But it turns out that, of course, if you look in the Oxford English Dictionary, the word afterhand came into English about the same time as beforehand, and it's a word. It just didn't thrive. Yeah, it didn't thrive like Mm. beforehand. Isn't that weird? It is weird, yeah. But but there's no law that says or no rule that says English has to be balanced in that way. Well, goodness knows. (laughs) Goodness knows. (laughs) What rules are there? (laughs) Well, quite a few, but not this one. No, but I might just start using afterhand just to be contrary. That would fit. That would be you. (laughs) (laughs) That would be me. (laughs) 877-929-9673. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello? This is John. I'm in New Hampshire. Hey, John. Welcome. What's up? How can we help? Let's see. I have a, um, a, a an odd phrase that my mother used, and I think she got from her mother. Um, and it uh, has to do with when you're sitting in a room, let's say when we were kids, we would be sitting around and we might say, while, while mom is there, we might say, oh, she's going to get us in trouble. She would say, she being the cat's mother, meaning that uh, don't call me she call me by my name it's kind of a, an admonishment and i'm not really sure which, where she being or she is the cat's mother comes from it's an odd really kind of an odd expression it sure is did you google around and look up look into it i did a little bit and, and i found uh, that it was uh, that there were, it, it kind of was uh, originated maybe 150 years ago or something but it didn't really give me much information on what the um, background of it was or, or where it came from there's a couple things here linguistically that we can talk about. Let's get rid of the one, unfortunately, that we can't help you with much. We don't know why it's the cat's mother. We don't know. Um, oh. But we do, like you said, find it back at least 100, maybe, I don't know, about 150 years, but quite a ways back. Some sources suggest, some authoritative reference work suggests that the cat's mother is an anonymous creature. You know the cat has a mother, but you don't know her name, and that's why she's chosen. And we're thinking about, like, when cats weren't these coddled indoor creatures, but they were basically wild all over the place and kind of half feral, half domestic, that sort of thing. Okay. So I don't, I'm, sort, I'm sorry we don't know the origin of that. But the other thing that's interesting here is that injunction against using a pronoun for a person who is present is very widespread and is widely considered rude. And yet, and yet, there are so many people who've never heard of it that they are shocked to find that calling somebody she when she's in the room, particularly a woman, is insulting. They're really just, they did never occurred to them that somebody might be offended by that. My mother and had it, that. My mother it hated might be it. More, might be more with a, a woman than a man? Yeah, it's almost, and at least in the English-speaking world, it's almost always a woman. And this probably dates back to more um, prim notions of showing deference and respect to women as these... Uh, sensitive creatures who need coddling because they're made out of fine china and never. Of poop. course, yeah. right. Um, right. But the but you know these days, my mother would get upset if we she heard us talking about her even when she wasn't present, as she said that we have to do wax or she doesn't want us to do why. Hmm. Yeah, she would just. Right. I have a name. She she'd say she never used the cat thing, but I have a name. Use my name. Yeah, I, I got that one too. But but uh, she would always she always refer to this particular phrase. But she didn't know where it came from either. She just used it. <laughs> but I do know. I do. There are plenty of people that um, to refer to somebody as she when she's present or when you could have have otherwise easily used their name is considered rude. Okay, John. Thanks so yeah. much for calling. Okay. Well, thank Take you. Take care. Bye. Have a great right. day. Yep. Bye. 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 Eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. I've been 
spending some time with the poetry of Antonio Machado, the great Spanish poet who was born in Sevilla in 1875. And one of his most famous poems is really short. I wanted to share it. Uh, This is a translation by Maria Jose Jimenez and Anna Rosenwang. And the poem is sort of an answer to an implicit question of uh, what path should I choose? Wanderer, it's your steps, the road, and nothing more. Wanderer, there is no road. You make the road as you go. As you go, you make the road, and when you turn, you'll see the path you leave behind, never to walk again. Wanderer, there is no road, only wakes upon the sea. And what I love about this poem is that it's about making life up as you go along, that Mm -hmm. often you don't really see the path until you turn around Mm -hmm. and look at where you've been. Mm -hmm. That's right. And there's the standard template for life isn't a thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're always thinking, what path should I take? And it's easy to follow the crowd, too. I think I sense some of that there about being an individual. Yeah. 877-929-9673. Want more Away With Words? Listen to years of past episodes at waywardradio.org or find the show in any podcast app or on iTunes. Our toll-free line is always open, so leave us a message at 877-929-9673 and we'll take a listen. We'd love to get your messages at words at waywardradio.org or hit us up on Twitter at W-A-Y-W-O-R-D and look for us on Facebook. This program would not be possible without you. Grant and I are out to change the way we listen and think about language, and you're making it happen. Thanks also to senior producer Stephanie Levine, director and editor Tim Felton, director Colin Tedeschi, and production assistant Emma Kelman in San Diego. In New York, we thank quiz guy John Chinesky and that master of keeping it real, Paul Ruist at Argo Studios. Away With Words is an independent production of Wayward, Inc. From the Recording Arts Center at Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. So long. Bye-bye.